And we're going to talk just a little bit this morning about something that I, I read a while back, um, a, a book this guy wrote, and his idea was that we should have Christianity without Christ, that we should have a relationship with one another and do good things, and it shouldn't really have anything to do with our religion. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go, but let me ask you a question personally. When was the last time this week that you thought about Jesus? Now I'm not asking you when the last time you thought about church was. Because you're here at church. I'm not talking about when's the last time you thought to pray. I'm not talking about when's the last time you read your Bible. The Bible's important. The Bible has the message of salvation. Prayer is how we talk to the Father. Church or the saved. But none of those things save us. Jesus Christ and His blood are what save us. Now we tell people we're Christians. Do you think it's possible that we have someone here this morning who went this entire week and Jesus never crossed your mind? Did you think about Him yesterday? Have you thought about Jesus this morning? I mean, I know you thought about getting to church and, and not being late. And, but did you think about Jesus this morning? Jesus is the central piece of Christianity. Jesus is what makes you and I different from everyone and everything in the rest of the world. And you know, if, if I never think about Jesus and I claim to be a Christian, I might ask the next question, is Jesus really relevant at all? I mean, if I would be what I am today and I wouldn't be any different without Jesus... Is He really relevant to me in my life? What about you? Is Jesus really relevant on a daily basis? You live in a world that increasingly believes that there's no relevance in one religion at all, and two, Jesus in particular. Have you noticed that? That people in this world don't think there's any relevance? They don't think it matters. Let me show you this quote from this fellow in this book. He said, when believers and non-believers are working together, the God thing doesn't matter a bit. It's just a backdrop to the issues in the real world. And his idea is this, you know what? We can go out here and we can raise money and pay for a surgery for some little child that needs the surgery. And we can hold hands with Buddhists and with Muslims, and with atheists, and with pagans, and with people that don't have any kind of commitment, and Methodists, and Catholics, and Christians, and all of us just get together and do good stuff, and forget about the religious. The religious doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference what you believe as long as we're all working together and doing good. What do you think about that? Now, obviously, you are a Christian and you're here at church today, but what do you, how would you answer that? Is there any truth to that? Is there truth that we can just get together with people who don't have a faith and we can do good things and that faith really doesn't matter or shouldn't matter? I believe that we can do some good things 
People who are unbelievers sometimes do good things. But I believe that fundamentally, what I'm here this week to teach you about is not about being good people and doing good things. What I'm here this week to teach you about is Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ is the singular distinguishing factor between those who will live eternally in heaven and those who will live eternally in hell. I believe it matters. And it's my goal this week to convince you that Jesus really does matter. He Himself matters. I want you to consider with me for a moment what Peter would say if he were here today. You know, if Peter were here preaching, I believe he would say, Let therefore all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. If Peter were here preaching today, you know what he would preach about? Peter would preach about Jesus. Well, what, what, what do you think Philip would preach about? If the Lord caught up Philip and said, Hey, go to Wheeler and preach to those people. What do you think Philip would preach about? Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip would preach about Jesus. What do you think the Apostle Paul would preach about? You see where I'm going here, don't you? For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. The New Testament Christians, when they were scattered, do you know what they talked about? They talked about Jesus, and daily in the temple, and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this, he said, we are always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I'm here to say that I believe that it matters. I believe Jesus matters. I don't believe just the doctrine of the church. Man, doctrine of the church is important. And we'll talk about that before this weekend's over. Or weekend. <laughs> the whole week's over. We'll talk about that. I believe your morality matters. I do. I think it makes a difference how you live and what you're doing with your life. I believe it matters how you treat your wife or your husband or your father or your children. I believe all that matters. But none of them matter more than Jesus. Jesus is the central piece of what we're going to do. So let me ask you, if a church would be basically the same if you removed Jesus entirely from it, in what sense or what way can you call it Christian? Let me ask you, could this church do everything you do and be everything you are without Jesus? Could you? Could you have the same doctrines without Jesus? Could you do the same social activities without Jesus? Is there anything that you do as a Christian, as Christian people, anything you do that wouldn't be the same if it weren't for Jesus? And if you can't think of anything, 
If you're sitting there going, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would be any different without Jesus. If you wouldn't, then in what sense are you Christian? You know what Christian means? The word Christian means like Christ. Do you live in a way that's like Jesus? You know, He is the central piece of everything we do. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me or to the Father but by me. What that means. You know, we hear a lot in our world about tolerance, don't we? How important it is to be tolerant. Okay? And tolerance is the word of America now. You've got to tolerate everything and everybody except Christianity. Okay? Tolerate everything. Jesus was not tolerant in this way. Buddha was not tolerant. Muhammad was not tolerant. All major religions of the world, atheism, all of them are intolerant. They all claim that they have the truth and everybody else is wrong. That's, that's the case. You know what? That's the case with Christianity too. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you know what that means? That means no one. That guy that wrote that book that said just forget religion and let's all hold hands and do good things. He will not come to the Father without Jesus. Donald Trump will not come to the Father without Jesus. Osama bin Laden will not come to the Father without Jesus. Your best friend will not come to the Father without Jesus. Your children, your parents, will not come to the Father without Jesus. You see, Jesus is a distinguishing, specifically separating thing. In fact, look what uh, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This makes Jesus a line of demarcation, a separation. Jesus said this, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And then he goes ahead and he says, A man's enemies are going to be those of his own household because a mother's going to be against her daughter and a father against his son. He said, there's going to be trouble in your life if you follow me. There will be. Now, you know, I was raised in Oklahoma. It wasn't West Texas, but it was about as close as you can get to be in West Texas. I mean, we were all conservative. We all had family values. We all held up Christianity. Even the people who didn't follow it considered it to be good and moral and, and valuable. The school I attended, we said the Lord's Prayer every morning along with the Pledge of Allegiance. Every morning in that school we did. That's not the world you live in today. The world you live in, the world these young folks are growing up in. Do you all still say prayers in the schools here? Can I get a head shake, yes or no? Okay, I'm getting yeses and I'm getting noes. So <laughs> I don't know what it is. I know this. I know if they still allow you to do it here, it won't be long. Because in America, Christianity is under attack. In America, Christianity is, we're finding out, 
that you can't claim Jesus. You know what's happening in America right now? Is they are defining what I'm telling you as hate speech in America. They're defining God's Word as hate speech. And it's happening in our courts, and it's happening in our schools, and our universities, and it's happening all over our land. And it's not going to be too many years in my judgment that for me to say the things I'm saying to you today will legally be considered hate speech. I know we all want peace. I know we all want to get along with everyone. But the reality is, Jesus said, when you take a stand for me, it's going to cost you. You take a stand for me, somebody's going to be your enemy that wouldn't have been your enemy. And the only reason they're going to hate you is because you stand for me. And that may, may be members of your own family. You may have people that turn against you out of your own family because you decide to stand up for Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to do what Jesus asks me to do. I believe in Him. And when you do that, Jesus said there's going to be a cost. You see, he is, if He is not central to me in my life, when the cost gets high, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let go. That's what's going to happen. When the cost gets high, and there's stuff I like in my life, stuff that I have that's valuable to me, but you know when the price... You've heard the phrase, every man has his price, right? Okay. There are, uh, there's a box that I have at my house. And in this box, I got it for Christmas three or four years ago. And it's got like a pocket watch that belonged to my great-grandfather. And it's got, you know, various other things that belong to my ancestors. A straight razor that my grandfather used to... And that's very valuable to me. It is. And, you know, you can offer me a lot of money and I'm not going to sell that to you. However, there is a price. There is a price. You got one of my kids... And you say, I'm going to kill your kid if you don't give me that. It's gone. Because that, that's not anything compared to the value of my kids. You see, what happens is when we have something we may think is very important to us, when the price gets high enough, if it's not central, I'm going to let go. And that's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, you've got to realize that I've got to be the thing to you. I've got to be the thing. I have a granddaughter, Adeline Kay. She is the sweetest little thing in the world. Way sweeter than my daughters were when they were that age. <laughs> She's a little angel. I absolutely love her to death. But you know what? She's just a granddaughter. She's not my Savior. I hope when I die that she can sit beside me and hold my hand with my, the rest of my family. She's not going to cross that river with me. Only Jesus is going to do that. He's my Savior. As much as you love your family, they're not your Savior. They can't save you. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus is central. You see, Jesus is the dividing line between righteousness, light, Christ, believers, and the temple of God, separated from lawlessness, darkness, belial, unbelievers, and idols. 
Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether, whether good or evil. You will stand in front of Jesus to give account for your life. Y'all know who Joseph Smith is? Started the Mormon church. Joseph Smith is going to stand in front of Jesus and give account for his life. And so will I, and so will you, and so will Adeline. When she grows up, she, after she dies, will give account to Jesus. You will too. That's why this is so central and so important. You see, Jesus is the dividing line between heaven and hell. So what does Jesus have to do with our salvation? You might say, well, Jesus shed His blood. He died on the cross. That's the gospel. He was buried for three days and then He rose again. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what that has to do with salvation. That's true. That's all valuable. But what we call the plan of salvation. I noticed your t-shirts have, have that on the back of the t-shirt, right? The plan of salvation. What God wants us to do to be right with Him, right? Does that have anything to do with Jesus? Let me ask you, when you believe, what do you believe? We say you have to believe. People believe all kinds of stuff. What do you have to believe to be saved? I'll tell you what you have to believe. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. You see, belief is useless. It's useless without Jesus. There are people who believe all kinds of stuff. You know the only thing that makes belief valuable? I know Oprah will tell you belief in and of itself will, will make you strong and give you all. The... That's not true. What's true is the only reason belief is good is because belief is in what's true. Do you understand that? Because if I believe something that's not true, that's not going to help me. I might believe... I've known Brit for a long time. Many, many years. You don't fly an airplane since you moved out here, do you? I didn't think so. I might tell you that I believe he's the best airplane pilot that ever lived. And I might believe that with all of my heart. And I get in that airplane with him and I'm going to die. <laughs> because he's not a good airplane pilot. And me believing he's a good airplane pilot doesn't change truth. Listen, people ask me, I, I teach in a private Christian school. I'll use this as an illustration a lot through the week because uh, there's so many good illustrations with high school kids. And... One of the things I teach is an apologetics class. Now, apologetics is a defense of Christianity, okay? It's why we believe Christianity is true. You know the fundamental reason that I'm a Christian? You know the bottom line reason that I'm a Christian? I'm a Christian because Christianity is true. That's why I'm a Christian. Because Jesus is God's Son. That's why I'm a Christian. That's true. And the only value my belief has is the fact that it's belief in truth. It's belief in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible also tells us that we're to confess. What do you confess? I've talked to people before who didn't want to become Christian because they said, oh, I don't want to tell everybody what I've done. You know, I don't want to confess all my sins in front of everyone. You know what the Bible tells us to confess? Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, 
Him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. You see, confession is only valuable if I'm confessing truth. And what's truth? That Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do y'all amen here? Amen? Jesus is the Son of God. Would you be willing to stand in front of people and say that? Would you be willing to stand in front of people and say that if it was going to cost your life? Would you be willing to say that if it was going to cost the life of one of your family members? You see, Jesus has got to be central. Or you'll give up, you'll let go when the cost gets too high. We believe in Jesus. We confess Jesus. What about repentance? You see, Scripture tells us that we repent in the name of Jesus Christ. Repentance means to change, right? Repentance means I'm walking this way and I change my mind and I turn around and I walk this way. That's what repentance means. So, if I'm a drunk and I repent of being a drunk, that means I quit drinking and I walk away and I don't do that. That's what repentance is. Repentance doesn't mean I keep doing it and I'm sad that I do it or I feel bad about doing it. Repentance means I change. God says we have to repent. Why? In the name of Jesus. You all have AA out here? You've got that, don't you? AA? Alcoholics Anonymous? You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has helped a lot of people get off booze. They have. They've helped a lot of people get off of an addiction to alcohol. But the truth is, somebody goes into AA, a drunk headed for hell. They come out of AA sober, headed for hell. Because AA doesn't save people. It might help you get off the alcohol, but it won't save you. Only Jesus saves people. Now, I've known personally people who were terrible alcoholics who went to AA and got dry and got chips at six months and year and five years and ten years and twenty and twenty-five years. And some of those people, AA becomes their religion. I want you to know AA doesn't save people's souls. Only Jesus Christ saves souls. Why are you baptized? Well, the Bible says to be baptized. You know that, preacher. If you don't know that, you shouldn't be here holding our meeting. You know that. The Bible says to be baptized. Okay, why? What is there about baptism? You know, when, uh, when we were a lot younger, my kids, uh, I sang in a gospel quartet and we went to do a concert and me and the other guys that were with us and our families all went and we stayed in a hotel and the hotel had a swimming pool. Now, we didn't have a swimming pool at my house and so my kids and all those kids, none of their families had swimming pools, all those kids thought that was great. And we got all, the, all four families got out there in the swimming pool and somebody got to baptizing the other kids. They started baptizing each other. You know, they'd seen it at church and all. And they were very young. I don't know if Jordan remembers this or not. They were baptizing. Everybody in that pool got baptized over and over and over. Did that save anybody? Was anyone saved by that? No. Why not? Well, they were just playing. Right? It was just a game. The reason is because it didn't have anything to do with Jesus. He says, 
For as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. You see, the only value baptism has is that when you believe and you're repentant, you'll confess that belief, you're baptized into Jesus then. That's the only reason baptism has any value at all. You see, we look at our lives, you can take your life and separate it up as a, like a pie chart. You can say, well, I've got my work and I've got my morality and I've got my home and my family and my fun and all these different pieces and you could divide this into a thousand little slices if you wanted. Where does Jesus fit in that? You know, a lot of times what we do is we go, Jesus is really important. You've got to have Jesus. And we grab Him and we want to add Him onto our life. And we go through our life and okay, i got a little helping of fun and a little helping of family, a big helping of family here, and a little helping of work. Well, i got to work a lot. And I've got all these things I put on my plate. And then I get to Jesus. Oh yeah, I need some Jesus too. And, and we just kind of add Him to our life. And I'm telling you that in Scripture... If you're committed to Christ, it doesn't work that way. If you're committed to Christ, you see Jesus moves from being out here to in the center of my life. And He affects my fun and my family and my work and everything else grows out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Does Jesus have anything to do with your morality? You know, there are atheists that do good things. There are. They're atheists that will help you if you have a flat tire on the side of the road. Does Jesus have anything to do with your morality? Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. You see, morality without Jesus only makes society better, but people still die and go to hell because they don't have Jesus. Morality is meaningless without Jesus Christ. Well, what about your enemies? Do you have enemies? People that don't like you? People that really... You've got enemies. You may not know you've got enemies, but you've got enemies. I just got back from Nigeria. Um, when I'm in Nigeria, we travel. We've got armed guards that go with us everywhere. You know why? Because we've got enemies. We've got enemies, and they would, they would hurt us if they could. Okay. What's your relationship with your enemies? How do you treat people who are your enemies? Does it have anything to do with Jesus? Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Do you love your enemies? That's what Jesus Christ told you to do, is to love your enemies. What about your home? How you treat your husband or how you treat your wife. I know we live in modern age and women are as educated as men and more capable in many ways than men and power women and all of that stuff. I, I know that's the world we live in today. Do you know what the God said is this, the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. You see, everything in our lives has to relate back to Jesus. It has to relate back to Christ. I love my wife the way I do because that's the way Jesus loves the church. Not because I'm a really good guy, but because that's the way Jesus loved the church. That's how I love my wife. She submits to me, not because I'm a really good guy, but because that's what the church does to Jesus. You see, everything in our lives has that relationship back to Christ. 
Does he have any relationship to our worship? The things that we do here in our worship assemblies. Absolutely he does. We worship the way we worship specifically because 1 Corinthians 14 gives us what Christ wants us to do in worship. And he says then, the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. You know, if the Apostle Paul just thought this is what we ought to do, so what? He's dead. But Jesus isn't. And these are not just the commands of Paul. These are the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does Jesus have anything to do with anything in your life? Or would you really be basically the same without Him? Paul said this, What things I... The, Excuse me. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. What Paul says is this, I gave up everything. And Paul had a lot. You know, not this trip, but the last trip I went to Nigeria in October, I had a very unusual experience. First time I have ever had this experience. On the airplane, I sat next to a man who is actually a king. He's an Eze. He's an Ibu king. And I sat next to him for about seven hours on the flight. And we visited and we talked. He told me what he was doing and where he was going. And he had a brother who was running to be a federal judge in Nigeria. And he said, I'm going to get him elected. And uh, I said, well, that's interesting. I said, tell me about him. And he said, well, he's not a good guy. I said, well, that's okay. He said he doesn't care about the people. He just cares about himself. I said, why would you help him get elected? He said, he's my brother. And I will get him elected because he is my brother. That's my responsibility. And when he mentioned responsibility, that changed our conversation and I moved it to Christ. This man said he was aware of Christianity. In fact, he had a brother who was a Catholic priest and he had another brother who was a uh, Jewish rabbi and he had another sister who was a pastor of some kind of non-denominational church. So he was very familiar with Christianity. And I began to talk to him about the importance and centrality of Jesus in our lives. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He said, you want to pray for me? Why don't you pray that I make lots of money? Because <laughs> there's a lot of people depending on me and my money. He's king. There are a lot of people that depended on him and his money. And he said, he said, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, it's good. But I've got more important things. See, he couldn't do this. This king had too much to give up. Paul said, I'll give it all up. I'll give up everything. You know why? Because only Jesus Christ will save. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. Some of you have heard me tell about this guy before. His name is Peter. I met him when I was about seven years old. I traveled with my dad a lot. Went everywhere with dad. And we went into a uh, hospital to visit someone who had a 
their child was in the hospital there and they were members of the church and my dad said we're going to go visit them so we went in and we went to the little area and nobody was in the room and they said well all the kids are down in this little little cafeteria room so we went down to this little cafeteria room and Peter was there and he was there playing his guitar and singing and entertaining the kids and uh, I thought, oh, this guy's pretty good. I didn't know who he was, and he wasn't. This is a more recent picture of him. He wasn't near this old at the time. And uh, he played, and then he played a song I knew, a song that maybe this is going to give away my age, but uh, it was Puff the Magic Dragon. Uh, some of you who are, yeah, I know, Puff the Magic Dragon means different stuff today than it did back then. <laughs> It was just a child's song back then, okay? Uh, but it was a very popular, very famous song, and he played that, and I this guy is really good. As it so turns out, Peter is the guy who wrote that song. Peter is a part of a very famous in the 1960s music group called Peter, Paul, and Mary. Now, they don't sing together anymore because Mary has passed away. And the only time you'll see them is if you turn on the late night TV and Time Life CDs is selling their music and, and you'll see Peter, Paul, and Mary on there. But I know Peter. Every time I see a picture of Peter, I think, I know that guy! Because he's a famous guy. I know that guy! Now, if you were to happen to talk to Peter, if you were happen to you hear me talking, you go, you know, I, I know that guy too. And you call him up tonight and you go, hey, Peter, I was at church today and I was, Michael McCorkle was there and he was preaching and he talked about you. You know what he's going to say? Michael who? Now, why do I think I know that guy? The truth is, I saw him one time, I listened to him play, when the music was over, I talked to him, he stood out in the lobby and talked to me and my dad for a little bit. He has no idea who I am. I was just some seven-year-old kid at some place he played. I have no relationship with him. I just met the guy one time, right? But let me tell you about someone else I know. Oh, by the way, well, I'll show you in a minute, I think. I know that guy. Some of you know that guy. Some of you don't know who that guy is. That guy, I know what he likes. I know what he likes to drink, and I know what he likes to eat. I know what makes him angry. I know what football team he likes. I know what things he enjoys doing for entertainment. I know a lot about that guy. I know when he was born. I know when his birthday is. In fact, that guy is my father. That guy spanked me. That guy taught me almost everything I know. That guy introduced me to Jesus. I know that guy. You see, it's different because I have a relationship with Him. And I promise you, if you were to get the phone out, and many of you do know my dad, and call him and say, Jerry, Michael was at church today, and he talked about you, dad is not going to say, Michael who? 
If he did, that would be disturbing. <laughs> he knows who I am and I know who he is because we have a relationship, you see. We're alike and the older I get, the more like my father I am. I'll stand a certain, I'll be standing there talking to my wife and I'll think, this is exactly the way dad stands. And I'll say something and I'll think, that's exactly the way dad would say that. And I do things nowadays and sometimes my kids say, you're getting like grandpa. You know why? Because he's in my DNA. I can't help it. That's just who I am because he's so much a part of me. I think you've probably made the connection that I'm making already, haven't you? There's lots and lots of people in this world who will see something about Jesus. They'll see a church or they may even go to a church service and they'll hear a sermon about Jesus. And they'll think, hey, yeah, I know Jesus. And they know Jesus the same way I know Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul, and Mary. They met Him one time. Maybe they said a little prayer and asked Him into their heart one time. Maybe they went down an aisle and, and got baptized one time. But they've spent no time with Him. They don't know anything about Him. They don't know what He likes and doesn't like. They don't know what He's about. They don't know what He does for them. They just live their life and they say, I know that guy. I know him because I went to church. My grandma raised me to go to church and I did. I read my Bible for a little while. Maybe even read it through. I know that guy. Let me tell you what Jesus said about this. Jesus said, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works. Jesus said, There's going to be people who will point at me on the day of judgment and say, I know You, Lord. I did all these things in Your name. No, Lord, I know You. And you know what Jesus said He would tell them? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. Just like if I were to go up to Peter today, he'd go, who are you, man? He didn't know me. And there are a lot of people who will live their lives thinking they know Jesus. Saying, I know that guy, when really they don't. Because they don't spend any time with him. They don't, he never crosses their mind. You know, the truth is, the story about Peter Yarrow, the only time he ever crosses my mind is when I preach this sermon or when I see one of those advertisements. I don't ever think about him. And he never thinks about me. Is that the way you are with Jesus? Do you ever think about him? I'm going to ask you all through this week, if you've been thinking about Jesus. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to ask you. And today, when you leave services today, when you're on your way home and you're driving along and you're talking or you're thinking or you're watching the storm or whatever's going on in your world, you got the radio on, pause just for a moment and think about Jesus. Let Him become central in your life. Make Him central in your life. Because if He's not... 
when the day comes, that final day, you'll remember hearing this sermon and you'll remember other things in your life that reminded you and prompted you and urged you to let go of that world and hold on to Jesus. It's my greatest hope that as our world becomes more hostile to Christ, if we start facing real persecution. I used to, when I was younger preaching, I used to say, maybe my grandkids will face persecution. I believe we may in this world, in this nation. If it happens, my greatest hope would be that this group, every person sitting here, would stand with Jesus. Every one of us here today would say, you know what, no matter what it costs me, I'm not going to let go of Jesus. And when we live that way, when we have that relationship with Christ, when He is central to the life that I live instead of periphery, when that happens, then my relationship with Him will be strong and when I stand before Him, I won't be ashamed because all of my confidence will be in Him. I hope that you have been encouraged and motivated today, and I ask you, where do you stand with Jesus? Do you think about Him? Do you serve Him? Or do you go, well, you know, I, I, I like Jesus. Does it really make a difference to you? If you are not in your life where Jesus is a central piece, the central piece of your life, if that needs to change, I want to ask you this morning to change that. Make that change. Do something different than you've been doing. Make Jesus the most important part of everything you do day and night.